In the early 1990s, a new version of the New American Bible was published. It contained a revised and retranslated New Testament. For the most part, the Old Testament remained the same in both the Old and New Editions. This revised New Testament translation is the one that we now use for our New Testament readings here at Sunday Mass. It's been that way now for several years. I don't know who the translators were who worked on this new edition of the New Testament of the New American Bible. I couldn't tell you any of their names, but I know one thing about them with absolute certainty. They were a bunch of wimps. And I'll explain why. In fact, all you have to do is look at today's second reading for proof of it. This text from 1 Timothy 6. There, St. Paul says to Timothy, and by extension to all of us, compete well for the faith. Or at least that's how it's translated in this revised New American Version. Compete well for the faith. Doesn't that sound inspiring to you? Isn't that a powerful line? Doesn't that just make you want to go out and win the world for Jesus? Well, let me tell you, if it does, God bless you. Because that line does absolutely nothing for me. To me, it sounds blah, lifeless, wimpy. It's as if St. Paul were comparing the spiritual challenges of this life to a game of tiddlywinks. And that's not what he was doing. Personally, I like, no, I love the way this line was translated in the older version of the New American Bible, which is also the way it's translated in the New Revised Standard Version and the King James Version and just about every other English version. It reads, Fight the good fight of faith. Now that's a line with some gusto. There's some power in those words. That line conveys the real truth of what this life is all about for the true believer. And if you're a serious Catholic sitting in this church today, if you're somebody who's seriously trying to be faithful to Jesus and his teachings in your life, then you probably agree with me. Because it is a fight. It's not easy to be a Catholic Christian these days. Two weeks ago, on national television, comedian Kathy Griffin got an Emmy Award. This was a film of the ceremony. And she blasphemed your Savior and mine. National TV. And you know what a lot of people in the liberal media called it? They called it funny. 
He said it was interesting. Some even said it was refreshing. They don't say it about Muhammad, they don't dare. But they say it about your Savior and mine. That's what we're up against. The teachings of the Catholic Church are ridiculed. They're viciously attacked in a lot of schools. They're attacked at work sometimes. Many of you know this. During lunch breaks, people love to talk about religion. Religion, politics, right? Our beliefs are attacked in newspapers, on television, on radio, magazines, even at family gatherings. I ask you, how often have you argued with some of your relatives about religious matters? At Thanksgiving dinner? Or Christmas dinner? If we are going to stand our ground and live our faith and be true to what we believe as Catholic Christians, then we need to have a fighting attitude. That's why I believe this text, this line, should be translated, fight the good fight of faith, not compete well for the faith. Now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we should have a belligerent attitude as we go through this life. That's something different. To have a fighting attitude means to have a strong resolve, a strong determination. A strong resolve and determination to live and to love as Jesus wants us to. It doesn't mean that we should go through life angry and hateful and be constantly looking for arguments and fights with other people. No, it doesn't mean that at all. In fact, for the most part, Fighting the good fight isn't something that goes on externally with other human beings. Yes, sometimes it does involve defending the faith and explaining the faith to people who attack it. But our battle in this life is not primarily with the Kathy Griffins of this world, as upsetting as those people can sometimes be to us. First and foremost, please hear this. Our battle of faith is with and is within ourselves. In my attempt to fight the good fight of faith every day, my most troublesome opponent is not somebody like Mr. David Madden, who loves to write letters attacking church teaching in the westerly sun. He's not my worst opponent. My worst opponents are not the people who write letters to me every once in a while attacking me and encouraging me to compromise the truth in some way and water down what I say from this pulpit. Well, that's not going to happen. Hopefully you know that. Some people want it to happen. Those aren't my worst opponents. My worst opponents are not the pro-abortion politicians in this country who drive me nuts at times. In my attempt to live out this text from 1 Timothy 6 on a daily basis, my most difficult opponent is me. And that's the way it will always be until the day they put me six feet under the ground. And by the same token, your most difficult opponent in your fight of faith 
is you. You see, we each have a unique set of inner temptations and inner struggles that are constantly pulling us away from Jesus Christ. Those are the things we have to fight against. And it's an ongoing battle. Have you figured it out? The inner temptations relate to the seven deadly sins. Pride, lust, greed, gluttony, anger, envy, and sloth. Those things pull at us in one way or another. All of us. The inner struggles that we face are rooted in the circumstances of our lives and also in the defects in our personality. Now, I know that's hard for you to believe that I have any personality defects, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I do. In fact, I got a lot of them. Some of us, for example, have to battle moodiness. Some of us tend to make rash judgments. Some of us tend to hold grudges. Those are just a few personality defects. But I tell you today, don't feel too bad about it, because even the great saints of the past had these inner struggles. St. Paul, for example, had his thorn in the flesh. He mentions that in 1 Corinthians 12. Thomas the Apostle was prone to doubt. St. Peter, his weakness appears to have been his hot temper. You see that in Scripture again and again. And Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta had her spiritual darkness to deal with. That was one of the places where she had to fight her good fight of faith. And it wasn't easy, as we now know from the things that she wrote over the years, to her spiritual director. Now, a lot of people, especially those in the secular media, have completely misinterpreted this information. They say Mother Teresa's holiness was all an act. These letters show it. They say she was really a depressed person who didn't even believe that God existed. That is not true, and we need to understand that. Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta experienced something that only a few souls experience on this side of the grave. It's what St. John of the Cross and others have referred to as the dark night of the soul. Perhaps the easiest way to explain it is this. The person is closer to God than ever before. But they don't feel that way. It's very much like what Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, experienced on Good Friday as he hung from the cross, when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had not been forsaken by God on the cross. For heaven's sake, he was God. But in his human nature, he felt like he had been. That's how great his suffering was. In Mother Teresa, these feelings of abandonment and separation from the Lord must have been unbelievably intense. 
Because early on in her life, in her religious life, in 1946 and 1947 to be exact, Jesus had blessed her with some unbelievably powerful experiences of his presence. She later wrote this. She said, there it was, as if our Lord gave himself to me in the full. The sweetness and consolation of those six months passed but too soon. Mother Teresa experienced that spiritual, mystical union with Almighty God. Once somebody has that kind of experience, the things of this world don't have the same attraction anymore. And not only that, once somebody has that kind of experience, dealing with the feelings of God's absence becomes even more difficult. Much more difficult than it would be for normal people like us who've never had this kind of experience. So Time Magazine was dead wrong when they called this a crisis of faith for Mother Teresa. Rather, as one priest said in an interview he gave recently, this was a trial of faith for her. A trial of faith that she needed to approach with a fighting attitude. For 50 years. And she did. Now, why did God allow it? A lot of people ask that question, and that's a legitimate one. No doubt he allowed it for a number of reasons, one of which was, probably, to keep Mother Teresa humble. In the midst of all the praise and all the accolades that she received from people for 50 years from all over the world. And you know what? It worked. We know it worked. Because as she once wrote, and here I quote, the interior pain that I feel is so great that I don't feel anything from all the publicity and people's talking. All of that praise didn't go to her head because God allowed her to experience this abandonment. All that praise didn't make her prideful. It rolled off of her like water off of a duck. God also allowed this spiritual darkness, I believe, for the benefit of all of us. As Catholics, we know that offer up, offered up suffering is just like offered up prayer. It draws down God's blessings into our lives and into the world. That's why the nuns were right when they said, offer up your crosses. Mother Teresa certainly understood that and believed that which is why she once said this, I wish to live in this world that is far from God, which has turned so much from the light of Jesus to help them, to help others, to take upon myself something of their suffering. That means that Mother Teresa helped the sick and the dying not only by her kind words and her physical care, she also helped the sick and the dying by how she dealt with her sufferings, her spiritual struggle, her spiritual darkness. 
Some have said in recent weeks that all of these revelations about Mother Teresa's inner life make her less of a saint, less of an example and inspiration to the rest of us. Well, those people, like the editors of Time magazine, are dead wrong. In reality, my brothers and sisters, all of this makes Mother Teresa of Calcutta even more of an inspiration and more of an example. You see, now nobody can say, well, of course Mother Teresa always had a smile on her face. Of course she was always kind and charitable. After all, she lived up there with Jesus in the clouds. She was so close to God that she probably felt Jesus' presence with her every day. It must have been so easy for her. But my life's not like that. I have to struggle. My life is filled with struggles. Well, now we know. So was hers. She was not exempt from temptation. She was not exempt from having her faith tested in a big way. Like every believer, she had to fight the fight. But she won. That's my final point. It's the key point. It's the bottom line. Even in the midst of all those feelings of isolation and abandonment and emptiness, Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta emerged victorious by consistently saying yes to the Lord, by consistently, daily doing God's will. And if she can win her fight, then we can win ours.